Welcome to the Tradies in Business podcast with your hosts, Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Divert your phone and grab a brew as Waz and Nick unpack tips, tales, secrets and stuff-ups from guests both inside and outside your trade. Helping educate and inspire you to break the cycle of gut-busting and money stress and create a true trade business. Today is a very, 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 very serious episode. Gosh, you've overstated the varies. <laughs> well, you didn't tell me how many I should do. Mm, fair boy. Oh. Boom shaka. Well done. Boom shakalaka. There is a missing KPI, Coxie. I'm sorry. I have let you down. <laughs> and I feel uncertain and therefore I panicked and made a mistake. <laughs> But how can it be a mistake if you didn't know the parameters? Ooh, back at you. All right, listeners. So today we're talking about staff, your favorite topic, or one of staff and cash flow, probably the two favorite tongue in cheek topics uh, here at Tradies and Business Podcast. And we have an awesome guest joining us for this episode who is way smarter than us when it comes to HR, 15 years experience, actually. Um, comes from something of an interesting trade background as well. So it has a great perspective on the trades. Yes. Um, and <laughs> some of you who are sort of Coxies and my vintage may have personally experienced uh, <laughs> the pain that can be inflicted by our guests' uh, grandfather's products that were manufactured. So uh, you'll have to listen through to find out what the heck I'm on about. Um, there is another failed KPI um, and a bit of uncertainty for me as a team member at the start of this episode. So keep your ears peeled for that one. And uh, yeah, we know you're going to get some value out of today's episode. It can be a boring topic and we take a bit of a different look at HR today and and Mm. how you can use it as a positive management tool, Coxie. Mm, I really enjoyed talking with Christy Lee. Um, Some interesting points that she made and I love that she's looking at HR quite holistically. It's not just about getting the documents in place and the legal ramifications of not. It's more about how you can develop your team with doing so. So great episode today. Enjoy. Right, our listeners, I'm just going to jump in and take over, as I said, off air, because that's what I do. I just get nervous, Coxie. Why? Well, because I think, well, are you going to do it? Am I going to do it? And I just like... I got I, I wasn't sure who was going to start and I panicked and I spoke first again for the millionth time in this podcast. You don't trust our relationship, do you, Warwick? Don't lead me down garden paths that I don't want to go <laughs> down, Nicole. I'm giving you a segue here. Which is not a bad segue <laughs> to today's episode. And our guest today, for a change, actually, we haven't had a guest on the show for a little while. We have not. Um, and it's fantastic to be speaking with Christy Lee Billet from, well, it's the Footprint Group. Is is that the, the brand we're repping for today, Christy Lee? Yeah, that, that's it. That's that's the key brand, the Footprint Group. Footprint, not a footprint up your butt, listeners. <laughs> Uh, so we might give you one but, today. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe a little bit of a different take on HR today. So before we jump into all the techie stuff and and I guess what we really want to talk about, Christy Lee, we'd really love for you to share your story, a bit of your backstory and your bio. 
Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's great to be here. Um, I've been working with um, people and people management for about 20 years now, working in the space of not only recruitment, but human resources more broadly. I love working with small to medium-sized businesses to help them with all the HR techie stuff. Uh, My philosophy is HR does require detail, but should not be difficult. So I love working with businesses to make it simple, to make it easy, to make it relevant for the business, and most importantly, to help them have the right people in the right roles at the right time. So they, as the business owners, can have the success they want, but also, more importantly, the freedom from their business so they're not constantly tied to it. So that's what I spend my days doing. That's an impressive bio. It's not, you know, <laughs> we usually ask guests, and they're like, oh, well. Um, can you coach us? Succinct. Yeah. <laughs> <Thank laughs> Yeah, that was fantastic. Thank you. How many times um, have you delivered that bio? Sorry, Coxie. I, I change it every, every time. That's really <laughs> okay. I shouldn't admit that. I just, you know, roll with however I'm feeling like explaining how I do what I do. I think yeah. it helps that you have your own podcast so you're not nervous today like so many of our previous guests yeah. are. We tend, mm. Even the uh, the big brave ones that it still shocks me actually how many people get nervous before they jump on the podcast. And we have to reassure them every single time. Warwick and Nicole, Warwick and Nicole, when the microphones are on and when they're off, nothing changes. We're exactly the same. So eventually they probably by the end of the episode, most of the time they start to relax. Um, you're not a stranger to the trades though, Chris Lee. You've got a bit of a trade background within your family. Do you want to share a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I grew up um, basically hanging out in a timber factory with my grandfather who uh, he was um, a pattern maker by trade. Um, and effectively, he built lots of stuff out of timber. But um, if you grew up in the, I think it was like 70s and 80s in New South Wales, particularly, and you went to a, a government school, you'll remember all the blackboard equipment we used to have, all the timber products used to, the teachers used to use. This is pre-smart board, whiteboard days. Um, they were all made by my grandfather's factory out of Western Sydney. So yeah. um he built that up from scratch, was super successful. One of my, I guess, uh, inspirational entrepreneurs, uh, someone who I really probably set on my journey with because of him. Um, He took up big fights against big companies, uh, really stood up for what he believed in, which was keeping work in Australia rather than sending it overseas, Um, Mm. and really successfully negotiated some big contracts with Coles and alike um, in his time at the the timber yards. I grew up playing with sawdust and getting into a whole lot of mess. and, um, And my dad actually built switchboards, electrical switchboards for a living. So, of course, like all tradies, he was always looking to make a little bit of extra cash. I was on the weekends, we'd have switchboards shipped into the garage and we'd all be wiring up switchboards. So my brothers and I learned pretty early on how to cut wires to the right length and what needed to be wired up where. So always <laughs> a bit of fun. Far more exciting than cleaning out plaster buckets. I must say I'm a bit jealous. I'm going to yeah. Yeah, pretty clean work, the switchboard building, I will admit. So. <laughs> so would your grandfather's products have included the the, the wooden dusters, I the was, blackboard yep. dusters? Yep, yep, awesome. all of those. I've, I've had one of your grandfather's dusters <laughs> pegged at my head by many a teacher. <laughs> yeah, the old set squares, yeah, they. Um, yep. any of that stuff that was made of that timber. They made an epic slap on the, the desk tins. when they'd whack them down to get your attention in yep. class. Yeah. What about the meter-long rulers? Yep. With the curved handles to give you a yeah. really nice grip on there. Yeah, yep. yeah. My brother had a few of those. <laughs> like Instruments of torture. What do the modern day teachers do without this kind of gear? I don't know. I don't know. Drink, I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Probably what a lot of parents are doing in lockdown at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
Wow, that's an awesome background. So how, how on earth did that lead to HR as a business? I mean, what, what's the, is there a connection there? Maybe there's not one. Yeah, not entirely. Um, like most people, I didn't plan to get into the career I was in. I studied forensic psychology at uni. Um, so HR was not something I went searching for, but uh, out of uni got offered a job with a recruitment firm and said yes, thinking I'd do it for a year and go travelling. Um, and ultimately discovered that understanding people and the psychology of that was really more of interest to me and that sort of branched into HR and going out on my own was very much a reflection of how my grandfather you know influenced my Mm. world um, Mm. because I quit my job and started the business within seven days um, when I'd had enough (laughs) (laughs) of corporate world (laughs) not mucking around no (laughs) and how did things go from there Christy Lee I set up a consultancy business here on the New South Wales Central Coast. It was very small, very local at first because, you know, technology wasn't, this is 15 years ago, technology wasn't what it is now, um, and just grew and grew and grew that business until eventually I realised I've grown this great business, but I don't love running this business anymore. <laughs> um, and basically tore down the empire and, and sort of re imagined it to be what it is now, which is providing that support to small to medium-sized businesses on HR specifically with an online, you know, membership program and, and just being able to reach a whole lot more people thanks to technology largely that didn't didn't exist. So mm-hmm. I've kind of taken some time to get, you know, from building the business everyone expects you to, to building the business that I really want to run. There's a lot of lessons right there, really, isn't there? <laughs> um. The the comment you made about, you know, didn't love running the business um, it would resonate, I'm sure, with many of our listeners. And I think part of that, and I'm going to be cheeky and, and draw some threads together um, through all of this, which is what we do in our in a lot of our guest episodes, because, I mean, we could, we could talk about HR and all the technical aspects of it and everyone would fall asleep. Sorry, Christy Lee, no reflection on you. It's all um, good. <laughs> True. <laughs> but it's no different to us talking about marketing or cash flow forecasts or you know personal habits and time habits and all that sort of stuff. It's pretty they're pretty dry topics. Um, I think what makes them worth paying attention to, listeners, is the fact that they are all, are all part of the kit bag that frees you from your business. And you used the word freedom earlier, Christy Lee, and I think it's such a it, it's overused, but I think. Uh, not understood very well how on earth you can create freedom in your own business. So um, I love the fact that you've changed your business model to actually deliver the lifestyle that you want. And and I hope I'm not uh, putting words in your mouth there when I say that. No, absolutely. And it's one of the things I'm most passionate about helping other businesses do as well, because no one started their own business to work 90 hours a week Mm -hmm. and never have a break. And just be, you know, not able to take a holiday with their family or a day off or whatever it is. No one started with that plan, yet it's the situation most of us find ourselves in at some point or another, unfortunately. Mm. I think for a large part, a lot of that comes from our inability to understand staff and hesitation around putting staff in place. I think, you know, certainly a lot of the traders that we speak to, once bitten, twice shy, or they have to employ quite quickly and it it blows out of control and they haven't got the right stuff in place and, you know, it can turn sour pretty quickly. So I I certainly, in my experience, a lot of traders are quite shy of putting stuff on. And yet with, and a lot of what we'll talk about today, with having all your ducks in a row and making sure that we do it the right way, it doesn't have to be that negative experience that so many of us have, at least the very first time that we put people on. Yeah, there's a lot of fear around it, a lot of fear around 
losing control or losing quality or all those things, but it doesn't have to be that way. And you can't do everything yourself forever. You'll just get burnout. Mm. Sadly, we see that far <laughs> yeah. too We're often. both mming and nodding. <laughs> <laughs> and we see that with, with uh, many of our, um, well, our members, I guess they come to us, quite a lot of them are on the, the edge of burnout or mm. we can see that they're approaching that because they are trying to do that thing of nobody can do it as good as me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's a ticket to stress and overwhelm and sadly, eventually probably quitting uh, yep. and either going and getting a job for someone else or throwing their hands in the air and saying, stuff it, I'll just go back to me and I'll just do enough to make a wage and not have all the stress. And it doesn't have to be that way. That's the disappointing thing. No, but do you know what? You, people might not be able to do it as good as you, but the next best thing is teaching someone and training someone to be able to do it just as well as you know how to do it. That's the second best thing. Mm. So, you know. And you, often, sorry, Christy, often we can get people even to 80 or 90%. Mm-hmm. of what we can do. And that's actually quite sufficient to run a great business. I mean, you have a look at any of the big corporates. Nicole says this quite a lot on the show and in coaching sessions with our tradepreneur members, have a look at what big business do. They don't have, you know, Elon Musk's running around working for him. Like there's not a thousand or, t- or 20,000 clones of that guy. Mm-hmm. Nobody there does stuff like him, thinks like him, and they don't need to because the business actually leverages the 70% or 80% that most people are able to give within that organization to create amazing results. So there's this idea that, oh, I've just got to find someone like me. A number of times I've heard that yeah. and I wanted to reach down the computer and slap <laughs> mostly men. Yes. Uh, no, everyone's guilty of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just need to find another bloke like me. It's like, good luck with that. No. Oh. And actually that's a really good point because it's something I talk about a lot. We have unrealistic expectations. There's a line from a a song from the 90s from the Jim Blossoms that says, if you don't expect too much from me, you might not be let down. And <laughs> about 80% of the problem we have is we have this ridiculous expectation that we can clone ourselves or that we want to clone ourselves in our business. And it's actually not good for our business because if we clone ourselves, that person's going to go off and start their own business. So they're useless to us then anyway. So mm-hmm. I think the sooner we drop the expectation that we need another one of us, the sooner we realise what we actually really do need. It's challenging. I think staff, (laughs) that's a big head shift and it's challenging and dealing with other people is really complicated. And um, I think probably having that large understanding, and this is where we see the light bulb go off for most trade business owners and the biggest change comes is when they understand they have to change themselves before they can help motivate, uh, lead and direct staff um, into the performance that they are looking for. Now, it's never going to be 100% of what they want. But when they start to understand, you know, we as employers are responsible for the performance of our team. It's a pretty horrible reflection if your team's performing like crap um, to be able to look in the mirror and realize, okay, I'm probably responsible here, whether I'm not giving direction or they're not feeling secure. They don't have that security of their job. So they're, you know, worrying, thinking, wondering about what else is out there. There's a lot we can do, even just with some simple paperwork and getting it in place that can help that 
level of security and we're responsible for it as the business owners, not the, the team members. It's not up to them to come and ask them ask for a contract. It's not up to them to come and ask for a position description so they know what they need to do each day. It's not up to them to come and ask for an organisational chart so they can understand how they can climb the chain in their business. Simple pieces of paperwork, although very overwhelming if you don't know how to do it, which is why we have people like you to help us make it super simple for us. Yeah, it doesn't need to be hard. But there are some key things that will help, definitely. Mm. So what sorts of pieces of paper do we need in place? <laughs> we can't stay away from it, can we? No, we can't. I, wasn't, I was trying not to. <laughs> there are just some really simple documents that we need in place. Um, can you give us a bit of a brief understanding of what they are? Yeah, look, you don't need to create war and peace here. This needs to be just really easy. I definitely recommend position descriptions for every role in your business. And within those, most importantly, is some really well-structured key performance indicators or key success criteria, whatever you want to call them, KPIs, because they're the measurement stick. That's how we measure people. And if we can't measure it, we can't manage it, and we can't improve it. So that's I see that as your number one document. And I know that you know trade specifically will say, we don't need to do that. Yeah, you kind of do, because what your staff want to know from you are two key things. What do you expect from them and how are they going against those expectations? And that document is like a gift for both of those things. So Mm. that's my number one. And my number two is employment agreements and making sure you're compliant with the legislation. And I know that's super boring, but no one wants an audit or a back payment or an underpayment claim on their desk because it, it can send you under very, very quickly. I've had some experience with troubling staff members <laughs> and was lucky enough to have the right paperwork in place that protected me. Um, mm-hmm. It could have been catastrophic at the time um, and, you know, it was, it was pretty dramatic as it was. We, there were police involved the whole lot. Wow. But because we had the right paperwork in place, we were very well covered. I didn't need to be concerned. Um, we had advice on hand so we knew what, we could and couldn't say in the meetings. We knew how to structure them so they were done fairly and correctly and I would be completely covered throughout the process. And I guess, you know, the perception is to have that place in your business is going to be incredibly expensive. I've got two answers to that. Number one, it's not as expensive as you think and there are services like what Christy Lee offers at Footprint Group that are extremely reasonable. But secondly, at what cost of not having it in place? At what cost? It will cost you more to not have it in place every single time. Absolutely. Mm. It doesn't take long at all for it to begin to fall over. I would like to bring up really quickly something that we talk about ever so frequently in our weeks, and that is the whole idea of subcontractors actually being employees. Mm. I wondered whether maybe you could talk us through what's expected, what we should be doing to keep ourselves covered. How can we keep that person we want to work with regularly as a subcontractor so that we're legally meeting all our all our requirements? Yeah, that's such a good question. And this is probably the hottest topic going around right now. Um, and there's two, there's two sides of it. You've got the HR side and you've got your accountants side. And they're both important. Um, pieces of advice to get. But essentially, some of the key ways you can protect yourself when you're dealing with contractors is engage your subbies or your contractors as as companies, as proprietary limited companies. That gives you a whole lot more protection than a sole trader kind of arrangement is ever going to. It's because that really confirms that you are contracting the work out to another business effectively. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the number one piece of advice. And that has come 
really from the world of accountants and that that's their recommendation from the ATO perspective. But really you're looking at separation, you know, um, can the person or the company accept or reject work? Can they outsource work to other people? Just this week I've been doing some um, contracts and contracting arrangements and employment agreements for um, a tree um, services company and they've got both arrangements in place but they want to really clearly identify what's the subcontractor arrangement and really you know separating that out and in their case their contractors can engage other people to do the work on their behalf that's one of the key points of separation and then it's up to them to employ the staff to do that so that's one of the key things can the work be you know um you know, put out to someone else? Can they engage other people, either employees or contractors, to do it? Tools and equipment is another big one. Um, the contractor needs to be supplying their own tools and equipment. If you're providing all of that, then they're more likely an employee. Control of the work is another big one. Now, this is where there's a lot of grey area, I get it, and it's not, you can't make it black and white. But effectively, if you're telling someone when, how, where, and the intricacies of how they're doing the work, they really are more of an employee than a contractor. So you're really looking at, you know, there's a whole range of about seven or eight things that will tell you about separation, but you're looking at for that, you know, points of separation. The more separate it is, the more control the contractor's got over deciding when, how, and if they'll do the work and who's going to do the work, the more you're safe that they're a contractor arrangement. So if you want to continue to work with someone as a contractor, as a subby, get them to be a company. That would be the way I would definitely look to structure it to protect yourself. Just recently, I was interviewing an accountant actually for my podcast to really unpack all of this and the risks from the ATO perspective are huge. Um, and that's one of the scariest parts, I think, because if you do get an ATO audit um, and they do find that it is an employee-employer relationship, not a contractor arrangement, you are personally liable for the PAYG withholding and the superannuation. So not just your business, but you personally. And no one wants any the ATO specifically coming after their house. So there's enough bills uh, and black holes for cash in business without adding something as horrendous as that to the list. And I've heard of stories uh, of basically people being hit with back pay for those sorts of things. Um, yeah. And it's huge. And there's a really simple calculator uh, tool, like a, a decision-making tool on the ATO website. Yep. It's right there. It's free. It's super easy to use. And if you put the information in ac- accurately, it will tell you whether they're an employee or a contractor. One of the one of the, I guess, attitudes about this that I think brings a lot of people unstuck, and it's probably a similar one that we'll no doubt speak to in a moment about all of the techie stuff of HR. You know, as you talked about with performance indicators and contracts and that sort of stuff, is oh, but he said he's fine. He's got an ABN and he doesn't care. He's he doesn't want the super and everything or the leave or anything else. Like, so, yeah, that's this week. Yeah, and. Things change. I mean, how many of you listening to this podcast have been in the same relationships with the same people your entire life, with the same dynamic and the same expectations and the same qualities to that relationship? Relationships change. And entering into a contractor relationship or an employer-employee relationship is a relationship. I've said this a lot on the podcast lately, and I think it's it's something that a lot of people dismiss and they get a bit too blasé with that idea that, no, 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 but it's all good. You know, he's happy to do it for that hourly rate. He doesn't want the extra thing. And you've got to, as a business owner, actually be responsible, just as you would as a parent, take responsibility for the fact that, well, what if that changes? You know, just what if? 
Mm. And maybe if you're listening to this podcast and you've got someone who's on ABN, as it's called, uh, who's a subby in inverted commas, just think about what if things change? What if something happened to that person in their life? What if their partner couldn't work anymore and they needed more money? What if someone got in their ear at a barbecue? What if their accountant asked them some questions about it and said, this is not legal, you know, then what? Then you're exposed. So yeah, and I, I think, think the important point. A lot of the point, time it's just the CYA principle. Sorry, Christy Lee. Yeah, I was just going to say that the, the, the point here is they can say they're cool with it and they might be cool with it, but there's no risk for them. Mm-hmm. There's no liability at their end if it is wrong. You as the mm-hmm. business is the Great only point. one wearing the risk. So that's right. And so much of business is the cover your butt uh, scenario because as a business owner, you have a lot to lose. You know, your family stands to lose a heck of a lot if you take these risks unnecessarily. And I guess that's the point. It's so easy. I like that about, about what you say, Christy Lee. It's like it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated to actually tick these boxes and protect yourself. And it doesn't cost a lot of money either. No, it's, it's not an expensive exercise and it's just – it's all about protecting your business and protecting yourself. Coxie, you go. You drew breath at the same time. It's like, <laughs> this is like uh, six shooters in the street. I wonder why it feels so complicated. You know, when um, perhaps it's just like any other laws, it can be quite complicated to understand what it's actually outlining that we require. And I think that's where the, the fall down comes. It's just another one of those things that becomes too hard to look at, like cash flow or, or like team management or marketing or any of those things that are also deemed to be boring. Um, I think, you know, navigating the law and trying to understand the law so that you can then put it into a contract yourself is, is quite a minefield. But then I don't understand why people don't take that next step and find somebody to help them with what they need to put in place. Do you think it's just that perception that it's expensive to do so? I think that's part of it. And I think it's a situation where until it's a problem, it's not a problem. So until you've got an, an employee or a contractor or someone complaining or fair work knocking on your door, you, you know, there's no need to fix something you don't think is an issue. So mm. I think that's the bigger barrier that oh, I don't really need to worry about it. Mm. Yeah, it's the whole prevention thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I uh, I recall... Somebody telling me, um, and I'll and I'll de-identify a whole lot of this, so nobody gets in any trouble. But uh, <clears throat> a story was shared with me about somebody working in a very large public organisation uh, that was looking at uh, metrics and measurements, and you know, there's lots of measurements in in uh, our public organisations. And uh, the the comment was made by this particular person in their jobs, like well, you know, if we did this, this, and this, we could prevent a lot of these things from occurring and it wouldn't put such a strain on resources. And the very senior people in that, in that meeting said, there is no money in prevention. And, you know, it was all about funding and, and financial flows and all that sort of stuff. And it seems to be an attitude as well. Um, Nick and I did an episode recently talking about health and, we're quick to go and get something fixed, but we're really slow to do things to prevent it from occurring in the first place, despite the fact that often prevention is a lot cheaper and a lot less painful mm-hmm. than fixing it. Mm. Uh, yeah. And I, I 
don't know if you have a magical answer for us, Christy. <laughs> I don't know that I have a magical answer, but I totally agree. I think it, it, it is something that crosses over all aspects of business and life generally that we spend too much time fixing the problem and not enough mm. time avoiding the problem. And mm. I think it, it takes a bit of a radical shift in thinking, but if you can get your head around the fact that, hey, I'd rather spend my time doing positive things, doing doing the work I want to be doing, building the business, spending time with my family, whatever it is, then putting out fires and fixing problems, you'll suddenly prioritise prevention stuff a whole lot more. Mm. Christy Lee, I'd like to fire something past you here. And, and we chatted really briefly um, before we hit record in this episode. I actually have a bit of a theory that one way to show your staff members how serious you are about your relationship and how much they matter to you is to have all this stuff in place. Do, do you have any examples of people who, I guess, have maybe done that and leveraged the boring stuff to turn it into a positive? Because a lot of the time I think people avoid it because it's like, well, I've got to sit down and say, you've got to sign this contract. And there's all these scary clauses in it. And it's going to make the staff member feel like we're trying to fleece them out of their entitlements or whatever it might be. Is it possible to make the HR stuff a positive like leadership and management tool? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people like certainty. It's our human nature that we like an element of certainty and our team are no different. So part of this documentation and the detailed stuff actually gives them certainty. They know, you know, if there's a policy that tells them how to apply for annual leave, they know what to do. So people do want to be kind of told what to do. So I think the reason a lot of people, you know, steer away from doing this kind of documentation is they don't want to be seen as a micromanager or coming down Mm. hard on people or making lots of rules. And it's not about that. It's about giving certainty because when people feel certain about what's expected, they feel more safe just mentally at work. And that's a bit of a a woo-woo concept that we, you know, is a bit out there possibly, but also when they do that, they're actually more settled and engaged to it. They do better work basically. So there's definitely a a reason to do it. And I'm thinking of an example um, of a company that's done this really effectively. They're an electrical business based in Melbourne and they Uh, They have all the HR stuff in place, but very proactive management, and they get their boys involved in all the new stuff. So they'll actually get the guys to suggest if they think a procedure needs to be written or a policy needs to be written because they can see a gap, and they'll get them to be involved in writing it as well, so having a say in how it works. Um, And they've really consulted really effectively with their team each step of the way that when they've looked to introduce things, and they've been able to sense because of that when they've possibly gone a bit too far and they've put too many things in place because they are one of the ones that is really good with it and that I've said, and I've pulled them back and said, you know, that's too many new things at once. Let's just take a step back and talk to mm-hmm. the guys about what's really needed. But because they've involved the, the guys in the discussion and they've always been really good at communicating with the team why we need to do this, why it's important, and I think that's key because your team want to know why do I have to do this, whether it's a piece of paper or a process, whatever it is. Um, and it's worked really well for them because they're in a, like most trades, they're in a, a market that is very short on employees. When they need to hire, it's really tough but they're able to attract better people through word of mouth, through their existing team, because their team love working with them. So they've been able to pull some really, really qualified applicants when they've needed to, and it's grown their business substantially in the last two years. Mm, It's a great point. It just reflects so positively on the business and the sort of business that that looks like to potential employees versus 
a bit of a shambles. No one mm-hmm. seems to know what's going on and, and, you know, people pick up on that stuff. So that's a great yeah. example. Yeah. I think Nicole was going to speak again. I wasn't, but I was going to say to the, the, the thought of micromanaging, you're actually doing the opposite. You're allowing them the freedom to develop within their role because they have those performance indicators. They know what they need to do to succeed because they have a job description. They know exactly what it is in their day-to-day that they need to perform to succeed. It, you're actually removing the opportunity to micromanage because it's there for them. Um, and a lot of what we talk about is creating healthy risk for your staff, for them to begin to learn how to make the right kind of decisions when you're not there. And again, those documents allow them to have that healthy bit of risk within their day-to-day around their decision-making. They're never going to get it right all the time. We as business owners don't get it right all the time. I think we forget about that when we are um, critiquing a decision that one of our team have made. But if we do have those parameters in place, then they know how to do what they need to do rather than just guessing. And if you guess it, you're pretty well likely to get it wrong rather than right. So Mm. I think that was a fantastic point that you made. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Nick. I think these parameters are really important. And they what you're doing is not only instilling the instruction of what tasks you need to do, but also where the line gets drawn in terms of your responsibility to make decisions, because then they can make decisions within that parameter. And it might be a dollar figure parameter or, you know, something needs to be fixed or repaired, whatever it is. And then beyond that, that's when you need to come to me. So they feel confident that they're working within that parameter and don't need to, you know, bother you every second of the day to make every tiny decision. So it builds them as um, not only as leaders, but as, as individuals that are better operators. Mm. Yeah. And I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I think KPIs, key performance indicators, um, performance metrics, whatever you want to call them. I believe they are the same. It gives someone the opportunity to take responsibility. One of the biggest complaints from employers is that staff don't take responsibility for stuff. And yet as employers, we don't set, staff up to even be able to do that because they don't have, as we're talking about, you know, good position descriptions and expectations, procedures, all that sort of stuff, but also the performance standard that we expect them to meet, you know, what level of rework, what sort of productivity, Uh, we just don't give people anything to aim at. And when people don't have a target to aim for, they just don't bother with anything. Yeah. And and because they're also fearful of doing the wrong thing. So instead of pushing themselves forward, they'll actually retreat back. Mm. So you'll get, you know, less decisions being made and less, you know, quality work because they don't want to overstep the mark because they don't know where the mark is. Absolutely. I We have a lot of pushback on KPIs here at Tradies and Business. We spend a lot of time banging our tradies over the head with the one-metre ruler or the chalk duster either or. to set some KPIs in their trade businesses. Do you have a couple of simpler ones that are your go-tos when you're first trying to help businesses instill them? Yeah, I have a, I use the the SMART acronym when I'm first starting out with KPIs because most people are kind of familiar with it. Um, It's a goal-setting framework, but you just apply it over to KPIs. Mm. Specific, measurable, action-orientated, realistic and time-bound. And if you start with that framework, it'll take you a few times to get it right. Don't stress. It doesn't have to be perfect the first time. But is it specific, i.e. we are completing this particular task within this time frame, you know, whatever it might be? Um, Is it measurable? How are you going to measure it? Is it time-bound measurement? Is it a dollar figure, you know, budget? There's all different ways. What's the action that we're taking so that we can tell what's happening? Uh, Is it 
it's going to be relevant to them. So you've got to, yes. it, the why of it. This is important because it means we're going to meet the project on budget or, you know, the next trade can do their part, whatever it is, and time-bound, you know. And if it's an improvement metric, you know, it might be within the next quarter, within the next yep. month. That could be the yep. time-bound aspect of it because just saying to someone you need to do better is not specific enough. No. <laughs> we need no, to be more no specific. Deadline. Yeah. We need a deadline. So, what is um, better? And it's just specifically what is better. Yeah. How do I get better? Yeah. If I don't know what you got to pick up your game, mate. Yeah. I thought I was all right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> what does that look like? Yeah, you've got to really paint it out, paint out the picture for them because they can't read your mind. It would be nice. It'd be really nice if our team could read our mind, but they can't. So we have to be really clear. <laughs> Actually, I think it's probably a good thing they can't. Yeah, I was just <laughs> <saying>. <laughs> I so they wouldn't understand it anyway. I don't, I don't want our next team member to be able to read our minds. I <laughs> <laughs> would leave immediately. Uh, but it is, we do get a lot of pushback on it. I think part of the fear, at least based on what I hear from our members and our, our community, is that by putting KPIs in place, we're almost saying, I'm scrutinizing you and putting pressure on people. And I, I really do believe that what you're saying, Christy Lee, and what Coxie just talked about as well, it's the opposite is true. Mm. You remove pressure by giving people certainty. Mm-hmm. It's the same. Think about your kids, listeners, or even your pets. Mm. Consistency and certainty are a couple of the easiest ways to reduce anxiety to increase confidence and self-esteem and comfort and responsibility. And yet we have this weird fear and behavior that the opposite is true. Yeah. There you go. I left, I left a silence bomb there, didn't I? <laughs> no, I wanted to pick moment. up that silence. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't know. I, I think that your message there is you should let Stanley into the house and he should be allowed. Uh, <laughs> I just love that you managed to somehow drop me in a big bucket of horse poo on our show. Thank you, Nicole. For, for our listeners' benefit, Stanley is my mother's Staffordshire, English Staffordshire Bull Terrier, who has come to live with us along with my mother. And um, he used to be an inside dog, but we don't have inside dogs at our place. So Stanley's now an outside dog. <laughs> so he's learning to adjust to the new KPIs. <laughs> there you go. Everyone and everything is capable of change. Reconditioning. So true. So yeah, but but interestingly that you you raise that coxie, he is actually fitting in and adapting very, very well mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we literally had a family meeting. So there's my wife, my mum, my daughter who's here part of the time. And it's like, okay, here's how we're going to help Stanley fit in. All of us need to follow this rule at the front door, this rule at the back door. We use these commands with him, you know, and he's been through obedience training before, but it's, you know, I could be criticized for drawing a parallel between pets and employees uh, to any staff listening. It's, it's not because I think less of you <laughs> and it's about behavior, right? Humans are animals. Animals are animals, I think. Uh, so can that conditioning and consistency is a huge part of any of that stuff. You talk to any behavioralist and Christy, you're way smarter than me on this stuff, you know, with behavioral psychology and everything. Uh, you've got to actually be mindful about these things with the people that you're trying to actually change their behavior. Yeah. And this is where we as leaders sometimes don't do particularly well. And that is we, we, we're sometimes pretty good at setting parameters, but we're often not really good at consistently mm-hmm. upholding those parameters. <laughs> and that's yep. a, that can cause big problems. Yeah. Behavioural issues. Mm. Yep. That's when people start acting up and 
you know, complaining about things and causing problems with the rest of the team. And as we keep saying, that's back on you listeners as the employer, as the leader, as the business owner, you decide how people behave. Um, You know, I think you said it really well, Christy Lee, and we, we forget this as I guess leaders, I'll, I'll talk to our listener base as leaders. We're, we're all business leaders. Um, people want to be led. Mm. Humans want to be led. Have a look outside your window at the moment, what's going on in the world. Have a look on social media. People want to be led to a decision. They want to be told what to do. We're not great at actually being rogue operators. You know, Very few of us are true entrepreneur rogues that are just you know, roaming around with a spear and a shield and just wreaking havoc on the world on our own. We're tribal. We're, we're tribal animals. We want, to be, we want to be told what to do by someone who we think has authority. So the way we do that is obviously really important because you can be seen as a tyrant <laughs> or as a benevolent leader. Uh, and so these tools are a huge part of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you've got performance issues in your team, you touched on this a little bit earlier, the performance issues, the behavioural problems, they're just a symptom. They're a reaction to something else. They're not really what's going on. And my theory is there's about six real reasons for underperformance and four of them are the employer's fault, (laughs) effectively. Um, Because because when, you know, and I think this is true for, for everyone, we didn't get into business because we were already excellent at leadership and management. We got into business because we were really good at what we do. Um, And no one gives you training on how to be a good manager or leader or how to run a team. You can go and do training on that, but um, you don't have it when you start a business. So I think also give yourself a little break in terms of we're all learning along the way, Mm. but it's often the things we haven't done that are the cause of the behavioural performance issues. Can't argue at all with that, can we, Coxie? No, we can't. <laughs> and we right. wouldn't. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's golden rule of your podcast, never argue with a guest. No, right? we can't. <laughs> Actually, we've had some uh, some pretty terse moments with some guests that we didn't yeah. particularly agree with. We, have, we should get some more guests on that we can argue with. What no. can we argue with you about, Christy Lee? <laughs> sure we could find something. <laughs> I'm always up for an argument. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now you have actually, we, we talk a lot about, you know, making it easy and it doesn't have to be hard. You've um, come up with a model that I know you've developed over a while and you've made your own mistakes and, and had your own uh, tough lessons in business over 15 sure years. <laughs> many, many. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, your model. And I guess you, you are a little different in the industry as to how you provide services to employers. Yeah, look, I I can provide traditional consulting services, which every other HR practitioner can and and does. Um, So that's definitely something I can do. But what I really love working on is that my favourite thing to do in my business is my membership, which is my people-powered HR or people-powered business membership, where people can join and it's a really low-cost monthly membership and they can just get on-the-spot HR help when they need it. So we've got a closed Facebook group. They can ask any question at all in there and we jump in and answer it, you know, literally any time of the day sometimes. So, <laughs> you know, it, there's the, the questions we get asked are just, you know, totally broad-ranging. It can be technical stuff or I've got a problem with a staff member they're not doing what I'm telling them to help, um, you know, all that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. and we've got, you know, a resource portal with all, you know, documents and templates and those things that you you ultimately need, but um, we do training and everything. But 
that membership community is, is literally my favourite thing to do in my business because they all support each other, which is really nice. I really enjoy that aspect of it. And I'm sure you see that with your members as well. Um, they're all jumping in saying, hey, I tried this, you want to try that. Um, but I can help, you know, way more businesses much more effectively in that environment than the one-on-one consulting so mm. yeah i really enjoy that and it is the only of its kind in that kind of structure here in australia awesome Fantastic. okay and it's very affordable it's extremely yeah. affordable yeah, maybe a little too affordable 97 dollars a month it's very affordable and, and that's get a flood of members. <laughs> <laughs> it's structured for exactly that reason because it is you know I'm not going to be one-on-one consulting with the members, obviously, but I am there in, in the Facebook group and on our training sessions and Q&A calls, just helping them, mm. you know, move along with their teams. And um, it would be a really great mix of businesses in there, certainly some trading businesses in there as well. Yeah. Christy we, Lee, yes. where do our members find you? Why are your internet's terrible today? Where do our members find you if they'd like to understand more about what you do? Look, connect with me anywhere you like. It's Christy Lee Billet on all the socials, Insta and LinkedIn and so forth, the Footprint Group, um, or the membership is at peoplepoweredbusiness.com.au. And we'll have all of those links in the show notes for you too, listeners. Christy Lee, that was awesome. Thank you. HR is challenging, some would say boring, and yet it's ever so necessary. It's nice to get a fresh take on it. Somebody else telling our listeners what we so frequently (laughs) tell them anyway. It's nice to hear it from somebody else for a change. Thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been great to be here. Great. Thanks, Christy Lee. You've been listening to the Tradies and Business Podcast with Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Find out more about today's guest, tools for your trade business and other cool stuff at tradiesandbusiness.com.au.